Welcome, mountain bikers. Thanks for tuning in to Vital MTB's The Inside Line podcast. This week, Sean Grisma Clendon flew out to Austin, Texas to meet up with Jeremiah Work for the episode. Jeremiah is a former BMX and pro four-cross racer. He's found his way into making sure racing is fun for everyone who participates through his trail party series and most recently, Downhill Rockies. You may notice the first few questions that Grizz asks. He's got some microphone issues, but those get sorted out not too far into the podcast, and the audio is buttoned up after that. Big thanks goes out to JensenUSA.com. They've supported the Inside Line since day one. Use coupon code InsideLine at checkout on JensenUSA.com. You can receive 10% off qualifying items. They have bikes in stock, parts in stock, all kinds of goodies. Max's tires make our bikes and the inside line roll. Hit up Maxxis.com to see which tire might be best for your mountain bike trails, your riding style, and your conditions. Santa Cruz Bicycles is donating $1 million over three years to trail projects and advocacy groups through their PayDirt fund. Hit up SantaCruzBicycles.com slash PayDirt to see who's received the money so far and to see how your project can get involved. Enjoy the show. I think I'm ready. Ladies and gentlemen, we got Jeremiah Worth on Vital's Inside Line podcast today. My goal with this whole podcast is for y'all you to guys. ask yourself, why did I not know about Jeremiah Work before this? And why have I not done a trail party race? So why haven't on. people? That's a good question. That is a good question. We'll get to the bottom of it. <laughs> I guess we'll start with a little backstory. I'm a, I'm a history nerd. I like starting with history, but... I met Jeremiah through racing. Um, he came over. My observation was that he was just this hotshot BMXer that had skills for mountain cross specifically. And he was doing a lot of damage, which made a lot of us upset. But Jeremiah was always one of the coolest people in the pits. And uh, I always like appreciated your, uh, your approach to riding racing and the experience of riding racing. So I guess we'll start with there with that. Jeremiah, tell us about your racing background. What got you into bikes? Um, I am a, at the core foundation of myself. I am a bike racer. It's been my life, and I've dumped everything into it, and it's given me everything that I have. Um, you know, from the very beginning, I think I started BMX racing. I was 11, kind of locally in the Wichita, Kansas area. Um and it took all of a half of a year for my parents to get behind me, start a BMX track in my hometown, and uh, my mom quit her job and opened a bike shop, a BMX-specific bike shop, um, and it was all-encompassing immediately out of the gate. I mean, the... Uh, I guess the aspect of racing was so much of a draw that it it just it was more of an outlet than all the team sports I played, um, and I played them all. So uh, I just think uh, when we started racing BMX, it was the most fun I've ever had in my life. I remember it, and me and four or five of my friends raced every Friday night, you know, and listened to the same crappy music over the uh, loudspeaker and talked trash to each other. 
uh, who won that week, and I just remember it was the most fun I've ever had in my life. Um, and with that, it kind of exploded. We started a, a giant uh, bike traveling team that went to the Nationals and set up huge, uh, like a probably a 40 by 20 setup of just selling bike parts at the Nationals. And I got a lot of experience and exposure from that. Um, With this team, was this like a shop team? Was this like your parents? Yeah, yeah. Mom ran the team. The team was most of my friends. Um, My friends were paid to be the mechanics at the races. So they would put the parts on and and moms would drive us out to the national and we'd do the national and then she'd drive us to the trails. Um, And that's kind of... With, with that, and those guys are still building trails to this day at 40-plus years old in El Dorado, Kansas, and they're a well-known trail set in Kansas. And at the, I think that was the, the grab for me that made me a lifer was the love of actually creating uh, terrain to ride building dirt jumps in the alley that my dad was pissed at, you know, and like, you know, like we're going to tear those down, you know, but somehow he he was like, we're not going to tear them down. Don't worry. Uh, You know, that was a lifestyle. So the digging came into it and the dirt jumping came into it a lot. Um, But yeah, on the road, it was work really hard for 72 hours and then play really hard the rest of the time and enjoy it. Uh, mom always taught us to enjoy the the whole thing, not just the riding on the track or the racing. So um, that was kind of the BMX start, and I raced for from 11 till 21 uh, every national, every Thanksgiving at the Grands. No Thanksgivings with Grandma, no uh, turkey dinners. We had a uh, Waffle House, and uh, <laughs> and then Christmases were in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, so, like I said, it was all encompassing. We threw everything at it, um, and it gave everything back too. Um, so that was it. Was so much fun for a long time, and then it wasn't. Were you doing, like, with BMX, were you, um, at that time, was it, like, ABA, NBL? Were you doing all of it? It was. So, that's perfect lead-in, Grizz. So, when it wasn't fun anymore, it was when BMX kind of got corporate, and uh, uh, the sanctioning body went a certain way that a lot of us didn't agree with, and they you know, basically said we couldn't come back and vend at the Nationals anymore. We couldn't sell bike parts, and that was our livelihood. I mean, in El Dorado, Kansas, as a BMX bike shop, you're that's a good way to go bankrupt. But on the road, we would do, you know, we would do good, and it would pay the bills. Um, Real quick on that, were, were you guys, like, char- so selling parts, but were you also charging for service? Yeah, like a yeah. Mobile, mobile bike shop. Yeah, and we had two of the raddest BMX mechanics you could ever get, uh, Troy Wag and Matt Cheronis. 
and they were both like almost seven foot tall at 20 years old um and the twin tower so they also ran security for any of those thieves that were looking to pick up a new croupy stem <laughs> got that new purple but yeah um so we did that we sold gear you know a lot of gear and helmets was kind of the thing not so much full bikes but you know that was our that was our livelihood and we did good at it we had a great team and it was kind of like the the situation now where it was the good times team you know like our results mattered but our experience mattered more um so we did that for a long time and I really took to the NBL series and I got into it in ABA and probably didn't race NBL for the first five or six years and then went and raced NBL and they had the good tracks just the downhill style like steep lips and like the kind of tracks you wanted to race um so we started going to the east coast and kind of doing that uh sort of vending thing and uh it was we were well received out there um so it was it was great we were doing both national circuits so you're talking a full schedule there's no time off like i'm pretty sure january was the only thing that didn't have a race and if i'm not mistaken there might have been one in oklahoma in january as well so uh all year and uh at some point the uh the aba decided that they wanted to get their own bike shop, which is understandable, and go to the nationals and set up and sell themselves. And that kind of put uh, companies like my mom's company, Revolution Bike Company, and Dan's Cycling, you know, Dan's Competition was a big vendor back then, and uh, Coastal, and a bunch of just old school, really cool vendors that we really got along with, it put them out of business literally put our bike shop out of business because they bought the NBL so there was no NBL and the ABA kind of just said you know this is we're going to make this money and again as a business owner myself totally understand that back then it cut deep like we'd lived it we breathed it we were ABA track holders you know ran races for them and um, it cut deep then, but, you know, uh, time heals all things. Uh, I understand the situation now. It, it actually makes me laugh because they lasted like two years and then they, uh, the bike shop end of it, they had to go out of business. So then in came vendors again, like privately owned vendors. So, you know, in the end, it worked out to where it was time to exit BMX for me anyway and uh, just move on. Uh, but, you know, there's no way I'd ever, ever have the experience or the drive that I have if I didn't race BMX. Uh, very important in the foundation of what I've done and another addition into another format of bike racing that you get to see and you get to dissect and and like really learn a sport and uh, be able to build off that or offer somebody something like that. Kind of like the, um, what was it, at the end of when I was racing, they did like the Vans 
downhill or the X Games BMX stuff, hey, that was cutting edge, and that's where the sport kind of, sh- I think, should have went. Um, Randy wanted to say hi. Yep. No dogs were hurt. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I kind of think BMX was going in a good direction direction with that as far as um what is it contact with the outside spectator uh people that didn't understand bmx racing and that kind of would look at farm or sorry not farm but rodeo arena dirt tracks kind of racing is like a not that serious of a sport and uh it was for all of us, of course. Like, I went to Reno, Nevada two times a year, every year for 10 years, and raced in an arena, and that was one of the best races every year. And we thought it was great, but I think that it lacked that um, little bit of sh- just like, I don't know, show offiness. Gonna create that word right now. Um, it lacked that ability to show what bike riders could really do on the little bikes. Um, and there were legends in that game. Kyle Bennett, uh, Brandon Meadows, uh, Robbie Miranda. Uh, there were a lot of really good, talented riders that necessarily wouldn't do well on a flat track that was all about power and training, but then you got them on a, a downhill track with big jumps where it, you know, t- you got to have the huevos and you got to have the uh, ability to ride a bicycle and it really showcased the sport. So, you know, that was a really great direction uh, for the sport. And, but that was time for me to get out of it. It was just, I was done. And uh, I, I didn't stop riding BMX, uh, just stopped racing BMX. And then came dirt jumping and the move to Austin, Texas. So, so you moved to Austin when you were through racing BMX? Yeah, completely done. I think I'd been done. I went to college um, and I just think I was, you know, better off dirt jumping and building and in the woods with my friends. Oh, yeah, I, I can naturally relate. But what drew you to that more so than the racing? There wasn't somebody running things kind of thing. You know, you you had your own destiny. You know what I mean? It wasn't sanctioned. It wasn't competition. It was just building dirt jumps and, like, doing knack-knacks at 13 years old, 14 years old with with no shirt on and jinkos. You know, like, that's what it was. That's what it mattered. And it, it, it... it was way more refreshing than going to a race, the same race that I'd been to for 12 years in a row and, and riding around. And um, honestly, BMX got physical. It got absolutely trainaholic, just like most sports have become. And I wasn't that kind of rider. I was a skill set rider, not a power rider. So, the, the, you know, it, it just didn't suit me. And if I'm not going to be at the top, not the top, but, you know, competitive, then I'm, I'm not going to compete. I'm just in the way at that point. What kind of damage did you do in BMX racing? What are some of your accolades? Oh, God. Do you have any? 
<clears throat> I don't have many, you know, like I said, I, I was the guy that would go jump a pro set as a 16 year old expert kind of thing. And, and, uh, could manual, uh, a, a, a whole rhythm section, you know, and bump jump stuff. And, you know, I had some good ABA worlds and some national wins on both circuits and stuff like that. But I mean, coming from where I came from and how late I got in the game and, and how much we traveled and as in a, I guess from 16 on uh, how much I decided to have fun with BMX racing and kind of enjoyed the, the party aspect of it and getting together with, you know, the guys that would go out after the races and have fun and, you know, talk about the racing and, and kind of just not just go lay down and, and drink water and eat a salad and get ready for day two. Okay. Not very appealing. <laughs> Did you pay attention to mountain biking at all as a BMXer? Oh, Lord. I don't want to. That road's rough to go down. Yeah. I mean, mountain biking to me was about the same as rollerblading. I mean, it was nerds and tights. Seriously, I kind of think it was too. I mean, the guys that it started to draw the sport or interest to guys like myself um, into the sport were guys like Mikey King and Eric Carter and Brian Lopes when they were like top BMX guys going over to mountain biking and being and deciding that hey, I'd, I'd rather do this sport. And it, it, you know, it was cool. You you saw it and it was like okay, raise an eyebrow. Is that all right? You know, maybe I want to try that. Um, but in the end, it was just like, man, I race BMX. Like, I don't mountain bike. So it wasn't appealing to me at all. Not like one bit. Like, I, I just thought it was pedaling around. Um, so how wrong I was. Um, when I'm, I guess when I was BMXing, it was so addictive that I didn't care about anything but it. Which makes sense because the whole concept of BMX racing is just repetition, repetition, repetition in every, and there's not many, it's, it's like you got to train, so you got to squat, but you do, some, you do your workouts, you do your sprints, you get your track time, right? you do your start, it's just repet and you do that over and over and over and over and over which I'm sure builds a lot of really good qualities, right, that you probably apply as a race promoter, probably as a mountain bike racer as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I don't have a lot of discipline. I'm not going to say, yeah, a lot of discipline and training is what got me to where I am. Um, but uh, <laughs> obsession, I think, is more the word. Um, I was absolutely obsessed with the culture of the sport, and then... After BMX racing, I was obsessed with the culture of dirt jumping. Like the guys at Push um, in the 90s over in Pennsylvania, you know, and the guys at Sheep Hills and, and just all around the gnarly, gnarly spots and like seeing how the sport progressed and then videos came along, man. You remember props? I do remember props. Yeah, yeah, like that changed the game. It let a lot of us know that there was life outside of just comp competitive BMX. Um, and uh, I'm still, and this is trademark, so don't be out there trying to copy us, but 
we're still i want to recreate that for mountain biking and call it park rats i'm just gonna get a bunch of people that <laughs> just like they did a bunch of people that barely get along with a bunch of egos and just drive them around to all the bike parks in the summer and just film the whole thing just be sweaty in the bus yeah absolutely oh you remember the road fools it was amazing so you recreate that with bike parks i think we got something there grizz Battle bus. Ah, maybe it should be battle Ooh, bus. Battle bus is more mountain bikey. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I was uh, just real, saying, real quick, real quick, real quick. Who would be on the bus? Okay. Oh, God. Who would be on the bus? All right. Uh, big shout out right now. The first guy I would call, Sean Near. And we grew up, or well, we didn't grow up. I grew up as pretty much the age of his dad, but... Uh, you know, he grew up when I was a four cross pro, you know, and he used to visit down in Austin from Denver and come see Ninth Street and send it and stuff. So I just, you know, I know that kid's personality and then his writing speaks for itself. I don't think anybody understands how good that guy is on a bicycle. You can, everybody can talk about race results and, and video parts. But until you see that guy in front of you and he looks at someone that's way better, you think is a better bike rider than him. And then he says, I bet you a shot of espresso that I can out manual you. And we're talking about a BMXer that can manual forever. And uh, Sean beat him by like half a block, you know, on a mountain bike manual contest. And it's just like, Every time he's been back to Texas, we've brought made it a point to bet him he can't do something for a shot of espresso. And some of the stuff he's done is insane. Like, manual nose bonk a cooler into a manual down a rutted road and then uh, nose wheelie turn the bike around right at the lake kind of thing. That worked. It's like a Tony Hawk fucking game. And uh, he pulled it, like, second try. And I didn't get espresso that day. Uh, so I fixed him some of his own traction coffee. <laughs> but Sean Neer would be the first. Um, I really like, uh, man, maybe I mispronounced his name, but Mike Geezy. Oh, yeah. Steezy. Steezy Geese. Yeah. Geezy? Yeah. I really like, I think that dude has, like, what I want to see on film. Um <laughs> Uh, as far as riding goes. It's all right. We're all dog lovers. Shout out to Randy. Um, no. Um, so Mike Geezy. Oh, yeah. Mike Geezy would be the second one. Just because of his style. And he's not a big presence. You know, like, it doesn't seem like a big ego thing. He just rides his bike and rips. So, um then, I mean, if I'm honest and can get anybody, can I get anybody? Yeah, anybody. Or is this just like... There's okay. no rules. Okay, R-Dog and T-Mac, for sure. Mm -hmm. I'd add... I bailed Jasper Pinton out of jail and put him on the bus, too. He'd be my international guy. And then the bus driver would be J.D. Swangen. J.D.'s the bus driver? Fuck yeah, he is. All right, well, riders... Uh... That bus trip sounds awesome. Let's uh, let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> that could be pretty cool. Oh yeah, park rats uh, coming to a seat, uh, to a, a park near you. Uh, no, that 
just a, a wayfaring idea that would be fun to do. And just, I think that whole program that they did got people to look inside athletes, like personalities and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. You know, not just like seeing them on a bike to a Metallica song. You like see them on a bus interacting with other pros that they don't necessarily hang out with on a basis, but are in the same category as them. And they're not competitors, right? They just shoot video and ride bikes. I mean, you that's a, that's a good way to learn what an athlete is like. You know, get inside an athlete's head um, like that. So I, I think that would be a great idea. And much respect to those guys that did that back in the day, Crandall and all those guys. Um, but yeah, uh, Sean had his own idea of who would go on the bus. Um, and I think it was pretty much the whole Yeti team. Um, and then uh, Schusler. So the whole you Yeti gotta team. have Sh- <laughs> yeah. So the whole Yeti team, because uh, you gotta have Schusler to make it like proper. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So, but um, and the epic photos. You'd oh, have absolutely. To get the epic photo. Yeah, he'd make our dog look like he was a bike packer. Right. It'd be legendary. So. Um, Where so let's get now? into yeah, like what I want to ask is how you you come from a very core BMX background and you were attracted to very core BMX things, and I remember those times in the two thousands. I don't know how you were attracted to mountain biking, so let's just get to that point. I was what what drew you to mountain biking? So I moved to Austin, Texas, from Kansas after a couple years at college, and. Uh, just to come down and work and I wanted to ride. I wanted to be a ninth street local. I wanted to live in Austin. The culture was amazing here. You know, you had T1, you had uh, mutiny, uh, legends. Chase Hawk was just like budding into what he became and, and everybody wanted to be here. And it was the scene when I moved here. Um, and, uh, went to ninth street and actually, got a house that was three blocks away over uh, above uh, it was in a live above apartment um right across the alley from trend bike shop which became empire um which you know is the dams of today you know empire's the biggest gig there is so i got an apartment there oh and our um <laughs> uh our uh a realtor, whoever owned it, um, grew shitty pot in the uh, attic too. <laughs> um, so it was a reduced rent. That's the only. That's the only time I could ever afford to live downtown Austin. <laughs> um, a little hush hush agreement. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I lived right by Ninth Street, uh, valeted cars uh, at night, and rode and dug all day in the you know in Texas, and it was amazing. Uh, the, uh, the, yeah, back then it was ride, swim, drink, Tecate, sit on the heckle bench and just make fun of, you know, your buddies. So, so that, that was kind of like still core BMX at that time, like a hundred percent. And mountain bikers would come down to ninth street and 
good lord would we make fun of them you know they were rc car drivers pretty much no offense clay but um like you know it just wasn't it would just didn't fit and at that time actually aaron chase and i think cam mccall maybe came to austin and rode toys r us and some other stuff and like came and and down to ninth street and shredded and stuff so there was like an actual appealing mountain bike scene then. We just weren't exposed to it. It was just all XC down here. Uh, so we, you know, like get out of uh, valeting because at some point you just, that job will blow you up downtown. Um, and I go back to work for a bike shop, you know, what I, you know, family business. I know it. Like there's always a place for me at a bike shop. Um, and I meet James Mullins, and I meet one of the world's best people, Clay Kimsey. And I'm a salesperson at Bicycle Sports Shop, and within my first year, um, somehow just, you know, Clay was a BMXer too, who just started dipping his foot into mountain biking. And, um, you know, I just, we rapped about erasing and riders and like real involved conversations about bikes. And you could just feel it's like, oh yeah, this dude is like his, his whole fucking life is bikes too, just like mine. And, uh, you know, he kept telling me, you know, Hey, we're going to go to Angel Fire. And I'm like, I bet, you know, have fun with all your friends. You know, I'm going to go down to 9th Street and get some enchiladas and swim in Barton Springs and then, you know, go down to 6th Street and, you know, party. Uh, and then at one point, he convinced me to hop on a P-bike and jump these trails that I had built by the shop Redbox uh, with the help of Todd Moon and Noodles and a bunch of people. We kind of, like, did this built this like trail system with the city's help it was kind of cool and then and then so we were out there and i i you know i could ride anything back then and i raced cruiser or whatever 24 inch and stuff so yeah i jumped on this dude's bike and rode it through the line and that was it i have had so many injuries and was a very, very sore 25-year-old. It was 2004 or five, and BMX was hurting a lot, you know, and and how smooth it was and the same blast and stuff. Um, I just thought it was real fun and uh, bought that bike from that guy uh, that, like, about a week later. And... Um, I don't remember who, I think it was a guy named Shane who had the first four cross race in the hill country out here at uh, Twin Parks was my first mountain bike race in 04, 05. And I rode that P-bike and I had a fly Tim Ferry like custom painted BMX helmet from when I was like pro bmxer but i broke the visor so i just run bullet and goggles i think my goggles were probably ski goggles 
It was the equivalent of skiing in jeans as a mountain biker. Had Dickies on and a UGP red shirt. Like, I remember everything about it. DVS shoes, <laughs> moon boots. Yeah, uh, that was my first mountain bike race, and I won. And um, I just thought that that kind of racing would be a little bit more fun than BMX. And being a racer, another style of race to learn that you actually enjoy is intriguing. I mean, it's immediately addictive and they took me to the chili challenge in angel fire of 2005 i think it was right before they had the world cup there and i raced four cross at the chili challenge and that is where it all ended for me every bit of my energy outside of my family and my friends that has went into my life from that day has went into mountain biking. And like specifically for cross racing, right? That was what you like addressed or did you just decide to be a mountain biker? Like I'm going to get the spandex. I'm going to get the cross country bike. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to be real honest with you, Grizz. I've worn spandex one time for an XC race and just really never felt comfortable in spandex. I can relate. Yeah. So, no, I didn't. I still hated the thought of XC. And, gra- and like, endurance-style racing was not what I wanted to do. Um, and it was funny because they were doing, you know, it was the, I think it was, like, one of the first years of the Mountain States Cup in which... We'll wait a minute before Mountain States Cup. But um, I, I raced uh, the Chili Challenge there, the Four Cross race, and it had the sickest track. You remember. And it was before they changed the last straight when it was um, turn, table, um, step down, I think a table to a roller instead of a roller to a table, which, like, for riders table to roller at you know that's a little bit more of a challenge and me and mike krieger i think we were the only uh amateurs doing it both from bmx backgrounds and we're sending it right and like you know me and him are in the same class at that race and had to race but we became friends real quick and i remember uh, the last practice lap of the day, um, before the day before the race and qualifying, I hit that jump, uh, and over jumped the, I uh, over jumped the pre jump into it and hit the, uh, automatic boosters up the lip and went to the fucking moon. I mean, straight up in the air and be- coming from a bail bike, um, crasher, get away from the bike kind of pushed the bike down under myself, which I feel like pushed me up in the air for another four feet. And came down not on the backside of the jump, but beside it and landed my foot on a huge, like, clod of dirt. And my foot just folded around it. And that broke, like, a few bones in my foot there. Um, and it was like, that's it. The weekend's over, you know. Um, and so went to bed that night, you know, and we drank and partied and had fun and 
it was a good time and just thought that, you know, tomorrow I'm going to go watch my friends race and it's going to be great. I woke up the next day and the foot was super swollen and, and purple <laughs> and disgusting colors, but I could walk around on it. And I was like, well, you know, let's do it. You know, you have five pedals out of the gate and then you're, you know, for the rest of the lap, you just coast down. And, you know, I had my super pack of ibuprofen on me and popped as many as I could and raced the race and ended up like getting first uh, in my first four cross race there at the national. And um, I tell you, man, I just really never felt like that uh, at a BMX race. Um, the people, the and the fans uh just like the culture of it was just a it was like a breath of fresh air man in racing you know what i mean like it was like what i'd been missing i guess kind of like you know got to re you know breath of fresh air into you know fill up yeah. your sails again you know so um yeah it was it was it that was it like i said since then i i, I have been a mountain biker since then and and I'll I'll take all the bullshit that comes with being a mountain biker. Um so um from there it was, you know, game on. Four cross racing, here we go. So So did you quickly you probably started racing as an expert. Is that right? Yeah, I raced expert the first year and then turned I think what would they call us? Super class or semi pro? Oh, there was a semi-pro class. I went to semi-pro in 2006. And for four cross in the Mountain States Cup, you raced in four cross, you raced the pros and semi-pros together because there wasn't enough to yeah, yeah, just dip. And like the first race of the year, I think, was Chili Challenge again. So I was fresh on it and lined up as a semi-pro and... Got second under uh, Robin Bellucci uh, for the semi-pro pro, like, national as a semi-pro. Like, my second, for all intended purposes, my second four-cross race. That's right. So, that would, yeah, that would have been 2006, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and when you're doing good in your racing, man, sport's super addictive, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, let's go racing. So there it was on, you know. We went to Snowmass, and and we went to, oh, where did we go? We went to Telluride. We went to, oh, one of my favorite places in the world, which only a gated racer would say that, um, Nathrop, with a dual slalom and a four-cross track. And we got to watch race both in one weekend, you know, and there was no downhill. So that was a good weekend to shine. Um, was that, and this was Mountain States Cups? All Mountain States Cup. Okay. Um, the second best racing, I guess, series of all time. Mountain States Cup. Yeah. By far. Um, and I'll contribute a lot of where I got the ideas and how to be a promoter and and how to treat the sport as a, you know, a, an event director from Mike McCormick and Chris Colley 
and uh, those guys. I mean, it, their race series were so much fun. And, like, there seemed to be no stress for some reason. You know, you were stressed out about racing, but you weren't, like, there just there just wasn't the weirdness or, the, I don't know, it's it just, I don't know, it just worked, you know? It they had a really fit. well-oiled machine. Absolutely. Yeah, as a racer, it was yeah. a very pleasant experience. Yeah. I mean, and it was, before Enduro, it was, like, where you saw that your competitors could also be your friends. I mean, I was friends with people that I raced in BMX, but not really. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Like one wrong move in one corner, and that friendship's. Over. Yeah. 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 If you if if I'm gonna put somebody in the bleachers, it's gonna ruin a relationship. <laughs> so, um, but with Four Cross, you know, there wasn't that much of the the aggression just like people wanted other people to do good as well as themselves and that was something that i wasn't accustomed to that definitely speaks i hopefully that speaks to a lot of mountain bike racers um oh you uh, we're all kind of byproducts of of different environments where we got burnt on some other sport whatever it was come to mountain biking and it's that refreshing it's what it, mountain biking offers what's missing from most sports i agree and, and with community yeah and you know, seeing seeing what happened this weekend at your race here at Spider Mountain, like that community, uh, especially in the post COVID world, like it, it's almost like, wow, is this where's Ashton Kusher? Am I about to get punked? Like, is this real? <laughs> you know, like it's <laughs> yeah. Uh, you you can yeah. You, anyway, you can see it in the in the Texas community that 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 spirit is very very alive and well. Oh, absolutely. Um, there. There's a lot of culture like it here, but there uh, there's very few people that wouldn't give you the rim off their bike to finish your run at, at these races. Yeah. Um, even if you're in the same class as them. Yeah, it was so, really cool to see. Yeah, and that was the draw to it for me. That was to the Mountain States Cup and mountain biking gravity racing. I mean, it was the friendliness, the purity and being in the mountains really i mean i'm never had a bad race win or lose when you get to the bottom and you look up and it's just like peaks and and beauty and and green and you know just you know the whole package is is very appealing um, and they did it well. Mountain States Cup did it better than anybody that I've ever done a race for or been a, uh, an athlete in. Um, so, and I actually sent a message to Mike the other day, kind of like, hey, here's where I'm at now. I want to tell you, you know, like, it's a direct result from me racing your series and seeing how you guys did it and, like, how you made the sport fun again and not so uptight and like like i don't know just so focused on winning and so like robotic and i don't know it just wasn't like that the results came and everything but it was just a pure racing sport and a pure racing series um and i'm pretty sure they're the when they quit it's kind of been 
not the... I, I think they've left a big hole in that region. And maybe the whole nation. As far as mountain bike racing goes. To this day. I think uh, everything has a shelf life. Especially in sport. Sure, uh, yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, it, it would be cool to still have something like that around. Well, we'll get into it a little bit. Something might be happening to bring that around. <laughs> get to that a little later, though. Uh, but back to your, uh, how you doing on Modelo? Uh, we're getting there. No, no, no. I'll go get it. We can take a break. Okay. <laughs> so, you're racing Mountain States Cups, but what other what other race series is, were you pursuing? You know, I know you eventually, you quickly got to the World Cup level. Yeah, so 2006, you know, semi-pro, do real good, just because I was able to race those guys. If I was just in semi-pro, it probably just would have been like, okay, you're racing semi-pro and you're doing okay in semi-pro. You, um, you won a semi-pro national, you got second at one, whatever, you know. But because I got to race against Grubby, you know, and, and, and Eric Carter and Ross Milan and guys like that, the crusher, uh, you know, I, I got to, I guess it showcased, you know, my ability to ride that style of racing. And it was my style. Cause you know, like I said earlier, I wasn't a flat track, like power rider. I was a skill rider with mountain cross. God bless him. <laughs> and this is going to be funny if Chris Colley is listening, but um, you know, they would throw in those things in four cross tracks to make the BMX guys be like, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not the dominant factor here. Like a flat first dusty corner or a huge dirt spine in the middle of like a 30 mile an hour straightaway. Um, something that the mountain bike guys could really do and the dirt bike guy, background guys could, they, they would, they would, that's where it would equal out. And they put those in, like... At every event? Every event, man. Like, they they made sure it wasn't going to be like that. Except at Nathrop, which was a downhill BMX track. Um, uh, but, yeah, they uh, would throw those in there. And um, it fits, that suited my, uh, I guess, my skill set. Because I had skill... But with mountain cross, you didn't have to get out of the gate. With you know, a good gate got you a long way, but it wasn't the end all be all. You know, if yeah, I don't know. They've probably never done a study, and I think I made it up just to tell people at some point in BMX that ninety five percent of the time, the first person and the the first person to the first turn wins the race, and. Totally made up, and, and I think I heard it from somebody else bullshitting, but um, it's true. Like, it, it might not be true, but to the number, but it's true as far as, like, when somebody hole shots in BMX, it's almost usually over. With four cross, that wasn't, that wasn't the thing. Like, you are going to see somebody at some point again, and... God, the sport was thrilling. It was so good. It was gladiators. And it was uh, always the guy in second place had the, like, target on his back. And it was like, dude, the anxiety in second place in four cross is like walking up to the altar to get married. It's 
your heart's just crazy because third and fourth are just setting you up every single corner. Like the third guy goes inside on you and you're like, oh, I'm going to dip down. Then you see the fourth guy go around on the outside. Oh, man. Um, Yeah. So, um, yeah, I had a good 2006 and then went into 2007 and, and, you know, went full pro, I guess, and raced and had about the same results. Um, highlight maybe of, of, uh, my Nathrop dual slalom career was, uh, beating Aaron Gwynn in a round, uh, when he raced for Yeti, uh, but he only raced mountain bikes for like two weeks before that. So still put it to him. It counts. Well, one round he beat me overall. (laughs) 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 What up, AG? Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it was so good. And then, of course, it was like, okay, what's the next level? You know, what's the next What's the next dopamine hit? You know, or how does this get, like, more thrilling? And mountain bike videos were coming out. Like, Clay Porter was doing the hypnosis and the synopsis. And Earth was well on its way. I think I got in the game when 2 was coming out. And watching those videos, the World Cup tracks, I'm like, I don't really care if I can't compete with those guys. I want to ride those tracks. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like those big gap jumps and those big rock gardens on a, like a hard tail with oh, maybe 60 millimeters of fork. Um, you know, I wanted to do that. And, and, uh, I, I aligned as much as I could as a guy from Texas, um, the ability to go to the world cups, um, and then they told me I couldn't race the World Cups. And why was that? You had no points? No points. It was hard to get points in Texas. <laughs> I don't think there was a UCI point within 400 miles of me. So while I did well in the series that year and the series the year before, I don't think I earned any, maybe 3.83 UCI total points in my career of racing. Um, so yeah, they were just like, nah, you can't race, man. You're just, you're from the wrong area. And then who gave you the call about decline team America? It was you, Grizz. It was me. It was you. Awesome. Yeah, it was you. Awesome. Um, I, I think, uh, I talked to, I'm, pretty persistent when I want to go after something. So I think I just sent tons of emails and messages. It was probably MySpace back then. I don't even know, but, uh, just hit you guys up. Like, Hey, I want on this team, you know, like, like I'm going to pay my own way and I'm going to go to world cups. Like just help, help a Texan out, you know, like, like let us, just let me, let me try. And, uh, it was like a gift, you know, there it came. And there I am wearing the G.I. Joe uh, Team America World Police jersey, dude. And <laughs> in Mont St. Anne, you know, lined up next to the baddest dudes in the in the world, man. It was, there's no national that ever felt like that. There's no, uh, there's no BMX World Cup that I've ever been to that felt like that. Like, it was, it was huge. I mean, it was, you know. Yeah, MSA a, is a, an, a, a incredible event yeah it really is a big deal yeah it was the what was the valerium yeah the whole festival it wasn't just the world cup 
So, yeah, and the track and the downhill course and, you know, the first time I ever got to see Sam Hill and, and PD race, like, in person and feel the fucking ground shake when they come by and be like, you know, I'm at the top of my game in my nation, and they made me look like a 14-year-old intermediate. I mean, I was like, well, I know where the ceiling's at, and I'm I'm pretty much laying on the carpet right now. <laughs> uh, I had a long way to go to get anywhere near those dudes, and eh, a little bit, you feel like you don't belong there, but, um, you know, it's about the experience. It doesn't matter if you don't belong there. It's about you're there, you're going to race, you're going to, you're going to line up with guys and you're going to, you know, race because you love to race and that's what you do. And, uh, yeah, the, the Valerian festival's going on and I don't know what, uh, festival's going on every time it goes down or maybe it was just that year, but there's a, a gigantic festival in, uh, what what do I say? I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say Quebec. That's it. Yeah, that's. I think that's appropriate. I, I just can't say Quebec. Quebec. I can't do it because it's. I want to, but I'm just not. So, Quebec has a huge like some festival, like a town festival, and it was after first practice, but the day before qualifying, or we didn't have to do anything the next day. I don't really remember. But we decided, and by we, I guess uh, it was myself, Ross, Milan, uh, Big House, Rich Houseman, and and Nate Espinosa, Yeti team mechanic, decided to go into the uh, the festival in in French Canada, and just kind of you know we're just gonna go get a beer and see what's up, right? And, uh, yeah, so we took off in the Yeti truck and, uh, I bet Damien was probably, you know, left back and pissed off that we were going downtown, <laughs> but, uh, we got there, parked, got out and it was like, as many people that go to Coachella, dude, it was like the streets were packed. The bars were stupid, you know, like the whole time we were down there for like three hours, I think we got two drinks. Because you had to wait so long. Like, you just... What, I guess we were just down there to wait in line. Because we just wait in line to get a drink. And then as soon as you got a drink, you'd have to go start waiting another line. Because by the time you're done with your drink, you're going to need another one. So... Sounds like a killer festival. It's an efficiency thing. In the thing. line ride? It's an efficiency thing. Um, but, yeah, we... So, we had our couple drinks. And, and for all... For the story, we're sober. We're buzzed. You know, not nothing, nothing. We're not getting rowdy, and but we are, you know, cutting up and walking back to the truck and joking around, and and uh, I don't remember what happened. But we hear somebody yell at us across the street. Can I tell this story? Is this gonna be okay? Sure. All right. Go into it. And uh, they were. <laughs> we could keep names nameless. Yeah, I think I already named them. <laughs> but who did what? Yeah, who did what is not important. You're right. So we hear somebody yelling at us, and of course I don't know what the hell they're saying because it's it's French. Yeah. And we all look over there kind of for a minute, and then it, you know it's like no, they're not. You know they're not talking to us. It's a group just of got guys. Got a little peanut butter on the roof of their mouth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. They were wearing Perrier jackets. 
um, no, they uh, were yelling at us and stuff, and I thought that you know I. Somebody was like, and it, it wasn't me for the story and for real. It was like, no, they're talking shit, you know. And those those dudes, sure enough, walked across the street towards us. And uh, I don't know, man. I've lived here for a long time, seen a lot of bar fights, been in a few in Austin downtown scene. And this was just weird. It just was like all of a sudden there was physical contact everywhere and Gosh, sorry, Nate. Nate got a black eye. Like, the first guy ran up to him and just shinered him. Jumped on top of him, and then somebody grabbed that guy off and, and did work. And then somebody walked around like a huge zombie, just scaring the rest of the crew off. And then one of them took off, and the most athletic person out of us all took off after him. And if you've ever seen somebody run and their trailing leg get kicked out behind them where they cross leg up, you know, like running and you kick somebody's leg sideways yep. and they cross up and do, you know, chest out swan dive down an 11 stair concrete stair. Oh, gnar. Whoops. Yep. So we're bailing out. The Yeti truck is full on doing donuts and roasting, just getting the hell out of there with thousands of people all around us. And um, yeah, went back and didn't tell anybody anything all weekend. And uh, yeah, it was a good time with the Yeti team, man. I uh, At the time, <clears throat> I rode for Team Decline, but I think Conroy actually wanted me on the Yeti team for that weekend. I could see why. Yeah. You know, you got to you gotta take every valuable asset. You know, if you can't beat them, join them. Well said. Mm -hmm. So, Mount St. Anne came and did good, and the national circuit went well. I think I got... Uh, no, I know. <laughs> I think. I think my best finish in mountain cross might have been. Uh, I, my, best, my best mountain cross finish was Snowmass 2007. Uh, I think they had the national championship there where they had four cross dual slalom and DH and Menar was there and they did a national where the guys not from America grace. And then they did the, um, regular race or maybe it was just, they it, had, it dual was just a national, I think cross. it was just a national race. Yeah. Cause no, Swangan was there and him and Menar, I think were the finals of slalom. Um, they were both the only guys tripling that gnarly triple in the dual slalom course. Anyway, um, I got second behind Grubby in four cross and beat a bunch of like heroes and old BMX guys that I looked up to. And uh, that gave me enough, I guess, gusto with USAC that it was like, okay, petition and we'll put you on the team. And I still had to petition. And they didn't want to send a Texan over to Scotland to embarrass them. Uh, but I did work in Scotland too. So, um, yeah. That was four cross, you know, the next year, um, I got put on black market with Carter Holland, um, which if you're looking at race bikes, a, a short wheel based steel bike probably isn't the way to go, but as a dirt jumper that rode for standard and S and M bikes, you know, it fit me perfect. So, and you know, the vibe fit me perfect too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you were, you, you were like the race the four cross race. Me the and team, Lisa right? Micklack. 
That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, because yeah. Lisa ripped. Uh, we had these. We both had so these gold like bass boat flaked mobs that were custom built with derailleur hangers for us. That bike's still running around in Austin. If you're listening out there, you need to come to my address and and sell me that bike back. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, it was, you know, it was on, you know, I had a full schedule planned and, and, uh, another year, 2008, here we go. And then something happened with the whole black market team and the availability to get bikes. And I, I think... Anyway, the Carter fell upon hard times because of outside interference with black market. And they were on a trajectory to be a great, great brand. Um, but it didn't happen, you know. And, and uh, I quickly resorted back to just traveling around with Carter and, and Bathus and... Um, Thomas Hancock and just dirt jumping, you know, going to Woodward, going to Angel Fire, like just free ride kind of stuff. Um, and racing again, just kind of fell out. You know, I think that's the year like Barry Nobles and Mitch Robaletto race world cup. And I think that was the last year they did four cross. Right. Like, yeah. Oh, eight or oh nine. One of the other course. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, yeah, I guess it, it, it did. And it's probably good that it did. Everybody, everybody loves to say, bring back four cross, bring this back, bring that back. But like, do you really want that back? I mean, yeah, as a fan, hell yeah, you do is maybe one racer, but is it good? Is it good for, you know, world cups? And I don't know, you know? Yeah. It didn't seem to work out for world cups cause it just, you had specialists. Yeah, you have four cross specialists, and then downhill just got way too competitive. So it it got like the old '90s, 2000s model of gravity racing, where you did multiple events in a weekend. It really died off because both disciplines got so high, like the level got really, really high. Yeah, yeah, and you had specialists. You're right. Like people couldn't. I, I remember guys that were good at four cross that raced downhill that they wouldn't be allowed to race four cross because they had to focus on downhill. Yeah. And vice versa. And it was just like, that's, you know, that's shit. I mean, I, I tried a downhill race. <laughs> I remember I've, I, okay, so in my pro four cross dual slalom career, to get the overall Mountain States Cup, you had to race DH2. You couldn't just win a four cross title, right? Mm -hmm. So I want a title. And I think I can do enough points, you know, to get a top three or maybe first, you know, if I do really good in the four cross and then just place in DH. So my first downhill race is Telluride. And it's old Johnny T's track, dude. And I borrowed my friend Joe's 59-pound foes or, dude, the thing was gnarly with, like, the first Fox 40, like, super light gray lowers. And dude, just the bike weighed as much as I did, and and uh, I didn't know how to ride it. I I only rode a full suspension four cross bike in a race two times in the whole time I raced, so I didn't really know what I was doing. But I lined up and raced, and I think I got like thirty first out of forty two people or whatever. And man, 
Krieger and the boys that I raced with were laughing at me so hard at the finish line. And they wouldn't let me race semi-pro either because I was pro four cross. So I had to fucking just race you guys. And uh, it sucked, dude. I'm like, can I please, I'm, can I start somewhere? You know, and they're like, no, swim. You know, <laughs> like kick me off the boat. So, um, yeah, I, I think I took three breaths down the whole course and uh, finished and imploded. As a BMX and force cross racer, the most effort I've ever given is maybe a minute and 20 seconds, like full go. I don't know how to pace myself. I'm a sprinter. I took off out of the gate, pedaled like it was the ABA Grands, and there were eight guys beside me. And I don't, like I said, I think I... I gave an exhale after I got out of some gnarly rock garden that I didn't want to do. And then I gave another exhale, like after the big drop that went into that right hand corner. And I don't remember breathing the rest of the time. And oh my God, my hands, I couldn't get them off the handlebars to get my fucking helmet off. And I was hyperventilating. And my wife, Jana, she's there, right? And I'm like trying to talk to her, like, can you help me with my helmet? But it just comes out as. You know, uh, dude, I'm freaking out because I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to hyperventilate till I die. I don't know what hyperventilation is. Like I said, dude, I'm a sprinter. Uh, and I think the track was two and a half minutes. <laughs> so, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I definitely learned right then that it wasn't going to be a, a dual crown domination for old J work. <laughs> I think that's my favorite story uh, as an inside line host. <laughs> and I raced awesome. Snowmass. And uh, that was my only other downhill race until I was like, I guess, uh, outside of Four Cross and everything. And, um, and I think I was two out of five. I'm For sorry, I just can't fall? get this picture of you, like, drooling at your wife. Like, help, help me with my situation. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> it was a full situation, too. It, it, as far as I was concerned, I was about to die. I thought I was dead, you know? It's like, that's it. My heart's going to pop. Watch this. Watch this, as they say. <laughs> um, so, and then Snowmass. Dude, it's even, it gets more funny. Snowmass, you know the bonsai course. I do. Dude, I go in there as a guy that like got second behind Graves at, at the four cross race and go into the waterfall drop wooden thing into the right-hand corner on bonsai, mm -hmm. the thing where all the spectators are. Mm -hmm. I think that weekend I was two for five. Two for five. Meaning I made it twice. Yeah. <laughs> and neither one was the qualifying or the race run. <laughs> that was a crowd's fucking spectacle. I you gave him a show. Your, you blow your goggles off? Or oh, no. I made it down the drop. Of course. You know, hold on. Close your eyes. Just like a pro. And then hit the first turn. And don't turn. Just fucking go over it. <laughs> I thought there was a line back there. Turned out to just be like three big dudes. They helped me up, too, and put me on the course. So I think I got like two seconds out of that. Well, they didn't disqualify you? For what? Spectators aren't supposed to help if you're, you know, if you're upside down, tangled up in your bike, or just imploding into spectators. I keep, I keep shit real low key. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Got it. I would have narked, dude, but that's just me. I know. That's Dude's. just me. If you're gonna cheat, you gotta cheat neat. 
<laughs> but uh, so that was it. That was my downhill career. <laughs> I think 31st and maybe a 28th. It was pretty good. Um, so I thought about really pursuing that career. Um, I bet. I, yeah. I bet. Yep. Um, what were the reservations you had for pursuing it? Pride. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that can get in the way of success. Yeah. Well, and the uh, ability to qualify. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the struggle's real. (laughs) (laughs) And that was it, you know? Mountain bike racing was done again. Yeah. Um, It was back to what did we do around here? We, you know, building dirt jumps and, and just riding bikes for fun again. Which there's nothing wrong with that. It's it saved my life a few times. Just getting stepping back. Um, so back to Ninth Street, you know, back to just riding for fun. And at some point, you got to say, Lopes's agent isn't calling. I might not make a living at this. That's a big might. Like I was there. I feel that. I was nowhere close, Chris. I'm <laughs> fucking lying to you. Um, you got to just, you know, get a job. You know, stop racing for free Nevigals that wash the fuck out. Um, and so it was uh, time to go to work, you know, and ride bikes for fun. And I started a business in landscaping and ran it for 10 years and just rode bikes and had fun. Um Went back to BMX racing for like four months and won like four out of six nationals in the 28 to 35 like old man washed up pro expert class and then just stopped again because it wasn't fun. And I was like, yeah, I didn't miss this. But I mean, it was fun. And I'll say this. This is a big deal, I guess. This is a, a you, you can think about this. Um, if, if you're not racing and having fun, like, what are you doing there? You know what I mean? You're either in the way or you're just, I don't know. I just, I, like I said, I wasn't into it. I guess it just didn't give me what I wanted, but traveling around with my friends and like, eating shitty Applebee's at a fucking Reno, you know, right outside the arena and talking shit and, and, you know, going out and stuff like that was so much fun. I had a great time at it, but it was unfulfilling. It was completely unfulfilling. Um, so dropped out of that and got back on the mountain bike. Cause I was like versatility. The mountain bike offers versatility. BMX is for me, it got repetitive and with a uh, super high ADHD, I just needed, you know, variety and more stuff. And, and really, I just was like, okay, I'm going to put this away and I'll come back to it again. Which I fully, you know, I want to take the kid to the BMX track and get him on the track and we'll come back to it. Like, it, it's responsible. It's a big part of why I am where I am. So, there's, I don't, I think it's imperative for bike riders to do BMX. Um, or moto (laughs) you can also do moto but uh those skills if you want to be really good i think they're great for you um 
and it's a good way to get into it as a younger person or a beginner. Um, mountain bike racing is intimidating unless you know what you're doing. Um, so dabbled in dirt jumping, probably built 4,000 hours worth of chap dry Austin dirt jumps. And, uh, yeah, worked landscaping. And when did you start building mountain bike trails? And when did you get really heavy involved with that? In, in 2012, a couple of my friends that, and Clay was the guy, um, and a couple other guys, Team Murder, and some of the, like, founding fathers of, like, Gravity Texas, which is you know, to a lot of people out there, that's like a joke, but you know, it, they are who they are and they made a big impact in the sport here. Um, they, uh, had an underground illegal enduro on some of the better trails here in Austin. Um, and kind of word got out. I think it was 20 people, um, six trails on like early morning and I got, you know, all my, all the homies were like, that was so much fun, you know, like, so I bought a bike, you know, I bought, I think I brought, I bought a Trek slash, a green 26, like monster of an aluminum bike, um, with a white fork and, and, and I'm a, I'm usually a pretty modest bike rider. I don't, unless you're going to the world, you don't need a gold bike. Right. So bought that thing and was like all right next year and you guys is invite only like i'm i'm gonna come race it and they were like well we got in trouble um you know people found out about us racing on the green belt and words getting around and that could be dangerous you can't get in big trouble for that out there which is the draw you know, like underground there needs to be more i hope people out there are doing more underground racing um but it you know i bought the bike i was ready and they were like we got to change the spot so they took me to a new spot and there wasn't a lot of inventory there as far as what race courses were like so you know as a guy who grew up you know with mom saying well if you don't have it you got to make it and just you know that was it jeremiah and his friends went to work building enduro runs at a new kind of like they had a, a infrastructure but they didn't have any like true gravity stuff and we put together like a four or five run like little race for um i think we did 25 people um and uh it was timed by the same guys clay and t and uh it was good you know um and then next year everybody's looking for it right and i'm we're starting to get messages and like it's like oh shit this is gonna be like a 50 person you know like enduro and and for the first time in my life i was responsible and said we're not going to do this we need to go find some land to do this on and um that's pretty much the beginning of you know that's about right where trail party starts um we went from running bandit races to um the next year we went and met with vol montgomery at Reveille Peak Ranch and had our venue and uh, I thought I was like we're just going to do this for our friends you know or four kegs and you know like 
50 people and and that's it you know and it's probably not going to happen again 95 people showed up and had the most fun that i've ever had like in a racing environment like all the time i raced all the time i just rode bikes i had this crazy elated feeling that i got from promoting and, and executing that one race and just like four cross dude you know it, it's on you know here we go saddle up because this is what we're dumping our energy into and i was still landscaping and i think i did three years of three more years of landscaping and then you know growing the venues growing the business of trail party you know it, acquired another venue then we acquire another venue near dallas and then we build out our own venue with spider mountain you know and build those trails and we had the first race at spider mountain before they even opened so for those that aren't maybe aren't aware there's a chairlift spinning up a hill in texas outside of austin year round baby you can ride a mountain bike year round it's the only place in the country probably in north america I don't Maybe know. I've never even heard of the world. Like, in the world. Yeah. I don't think there is one. What in the world? It's Spider Mountain. So, our 350-foot hill here with a chairlift fits this community better than a 2,000-foot forest mountain. We have a lot of fun here. Um, and, I mean... Texas is a big BMX community. I mean, this, the racing here in Texas for BMX is gigantic. It always has been. And those short two-minute runs with just like an eight-minute lift up, you know, and pack in just as much stuff as you need to, that's, that's okay. You know, we'll take that, and and uh, that'll be everything we need in December when everybody else is pissed off. You know, I know you guys that ski and snowboard have a great time in the snow, but... Um, we're just not cut out for that down here. So we uh, ride bikes. And James Coleman and his team put together a dream idea and built Spider Mountain. And since then, I don't know, the culture here in Texas is five, six times as big. Direct impact. And... The bikes that mountain bikers like are buying in Texas. They went from Epics to Stump Jumper Evos. That you know traded the uh, traded the tights in for baggies. You know, I mean they the still flutter of fabric. Absolutely, and they still oh, the flutters real grizz. You and, know what I mean? Yeah, I baggies do. Baggies feel great. Mm -hmm. You can go swimming, dude. We will swim later. But yeah, yeah, there's still a good XC and endurance vibe here. You know, there's plenty of that here. Um, yeah, I'm hearing a lot of the the Nike scene. Is sounds like it's humongous. Dude, 600 Texas. kids at a race. 600. 600 kids. Just insane numbers, you know, and and good. I mean, it's it's got our sport what we're doing at a younger age. Are you at Trail Party seeing Nike kids come to your races? Absolutely. Yeah, we went out to a couple Nike races like 
dressed up and you know you sneak in right you're like i'm coming undercover inspector gadget you know and fucking walk in you're like Psst, here's a flyer you know like would you rather be sending jumps and getting chicks or do you want to be riding around in your underwear out here <laughs> and some some people have bit yeah yeah uh, you know <laughs> As a former teen young man, that was all you'd have to say to me. <laughs> Sign me up for the jumps and the chicks. Yeah, where's the chicks and jumps at, man? I... But no, it's the dude. Nika is the thing. You know, it's it's what's gonna bring another level to this whole to mountain biking. It's what's gonna solidify it. Honestly, when a sport gets younger, a sport gains that longevity, that livelihood. You know, like t-ball, like you know, peewees or youth foundational soccer, like that solidifies a sport. And until now, the equipment really wasn't where it needed to be for little guys to actually be, you know, efficient on a trail. And now it is. And you're going to see, and you're already seeing, everybody's already seeing it, dude. The World Cups are such a young sport now. Those kids could be kids of me. And, and, it's gonna continue. It's gonna get crazy. It, it, I mean, and and we it, we're a good a testament. So you know, after our first series, you know, we built the Texas Enduro Cup, and our series was all like what us and forty year olds, you know, like salty old men that were like I want to relive some glory days, and like we're all trying to pretend that we're like. I went to a BME once, you know, and we're doing that in Texas and we're not doing that. We're doing something different. That's more fun. But, uh, you know, it, 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 it was that vibe. And now it's a youth, like our biggest classes are the teen classes and we're getting huge numbers in 10 and under, which is crazy. Like seeing a 10 and under person tackle a downhill trail is, dude, that's, that's rad. Oh, it's it's really rad. Yeah, and you saw it yesterday at the event. You know, there's tons of little kids. I mean, yep. that's what makes up our, our you know our our race group. So, man, I it, the the future of the Texas scene is gnarly, and it it's crazy. I mean, last year we didn't have one race that had less than 200 riders, and our last race at Spider, our finals had 300. So just the event. Just the, the one event. Oh, yesterday was 170 people for the finals in May for people that wanted to race in the 102 degrees. With 85% humidity. Yeah, I know, Grizz. I'm sorry, man. Grizz feels like he's breathing through a T-shirt that's been soaked in bleach. Yes. The yes. humidity's real, dude. We're getting the gold bond out. Um, But, yeah, so, like, we're 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 chilling. You know, Texas Enduro's growing. We're partying. The parties were the. I I think I told you yesterday with my my observation, the the vibe I felt at Spider Mountain reminded me of like the mid two thousands Australian downhill scene. It very much reminded me of that. A very community oriented. It seemed like any rider would have shared a tire or a wheel or any part that any other rider needed. Yeah. We're starving. Here's a sandwich. People were murdering their thirst with that liquid death myself included <laughs> you know but it was it was just a very refreshing 
community to observe and be a part of for at least a day. I really, really cannot wait to come back. Yeah, in the fall. In the fall, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when our enduro scene starts up, man, it's the weather's chill. And, and it's more family-oriented than the downhill. You know, the downhill is like a one-and-done. People are in and out. But like I said, man, the parties afterwards, after the Enduros here in Texas, I mean, there's legendary stories that I'm not going to tell. And there's, yeah, I, I don't really know another series that is as fun-loving and lighthearted as the one that my team runs. I really don't, man. Um, and there it is, you know, that's the basic, what they, what your, your mission statement for a business. We don't have one, you know, we're, we're fucking trail party. We don't have mission statements or lawyers or CPAs. We, we just, we provide fun. That's our mission statement is like, we are here to make racing fun again. We're here to take a lot of the stressors out and just make it to where people want to race their bikes again as a guy that just races bikes or a girl that just races bikes. And so for those that have never done a trail party event, walk them through the format of it because it's unique. In my opinion, it's the best format ever created for gravity racing. Yeah. Yeah. We just, you know, after racing downhill and four cross and BMX and XC, you know, and doing a bunch of racing, you, you start learning like the drawbacks to racing, you know, what drags you down. And, and the enduro format was like, this is what we need to focus on getting, you know, cause enduro is like family and shit, you know, and like everybody's like stoked and it's just a different sport where the vibe is like completely different than any other kind of racing already untouched the way they do it now and then we take it and you know we we take the climbing out first because nobody that has a nine to five and has a kid or a kid in college that has responsibility and has to work i'd say 90 percent of the mountain bike demographic does not have the time to train to even finish a big mountain enduro or a revolution enduro. So we take the climbing out and we just we lift you up to the top of the hill, you know, and get you there via shuttle or um, lift access. Um, so that's the first thing, you know, and, and that takes out a lot of the, man, what do I got to bring? What do I got to eat? You know, like how much water do I got to have? You know, and those are stressors, right? It's also part of the game. like there is 100% of place for serious racing like enduro and downhill and professional racing and we wouldn't be anywhere without them i think that we coincide with them and we are maybe a precursor to that or um a post um option for people that don't have the energy or ability to do enduros so the climbing's gone and you can now eat cheesecake um that your aunt cooked for your birthday Happy birthday, Corey. And, uh, yeah, so that's the first thing. And then the second thing, and everybody's, I know you've dealt with it. I've dealt with it. If you've been a serious racer, you've dealt with it. Mechanicals, right? Mechanical, ruin your whole weekend. I drove halfway across the country. I spent thousands of dollars. I trained for months for this race. Well, 
I didn't train for a race, but people would train for a race. And and you go across the country and you're fucking you flat on a rock and there's nothing you could do about it. You know, it's just a flat tire or, you know, your brake gives out or whatever the fuck happens. But you you you're done. Your whole weekend's done in an enduro in a downhill race in a four cross race in an XC race. You fucking mechanical. You're done. Aaron Gwynn, a little bit different, but most of the time. So we allow you to do the uh, stages you know, we'll have four to five stages. We allow you to do them as many times as you want, and we take your best time. So if you crash or mechanical or, you know, blow off the course, um, you know, you get another run at it and another run at it if you want, you know. So that, another, you know, thing taken care of for uh, a stressor and something that worries people and, like, maybe I don't want to go there. Um, uh Another big part of our format is allowing riders to ride the stages in any order. You know, we, we cut lines down by a motherfucker. We cut lines down by a mile. You know, nobody's just in that Congo line waiting to drop into a trail for an hour and letting their legs bake and cool off. It's like, I can't wait to sprint in this stage with this lactic acid filled up after I climbed for 1200 feet, you know, like, so, you know, you can do them in any order. And the, I think one of the underestimated parts is we, you don't have to ride with your class. You can ride with your family, with your teammates that you train with, with your little kid, you know, with your girlfriend, you know, you can ride with who you want to. And I, I, I've been to races where you have to race with strangers and stuff. And it's cool, you know, you meet new people and you get to talking and, and that's cool. But there's nothing like enjoying a new experience and riding mountain bikes with the people that you, you know, you, you surround yourself with. So, you know, they don't do party trains at regular Enduros, you know. We, we do, I see 10 to 12 people race party trains. And they're all at our, an accurate clock. Oh, 100%. Accurate, accurate oh, yeah. We use the same timing system that EWS does, that Revolution Enduro does. Our, our timing's, you know, it's spot on. And you can, as long as you're not behind somebody, you know, like blocking it, yeah, it works out. So. Or if you happen to forget to activate the beacon. Yeah, which. Like, like I've done. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. yeah. Got to activate it. Maybe once, but maybe never again. But yeah, we, we, um, we just, as far as the trail party, like format, uh, the gravity stage racing, it's just there to give people an option that want to race that, you know, maybe be burned out. Maybe they don't want to give that much of an effort, but still want to race bikes because man, going back to the first story I told when I was young and when I was racing BMX with my friends, I don't remember another time in my life that I felt better, you know, and had more fun. It was just pure fun every time practice and laps and didn't give, you care how you do, but you don't, it's not the, the point of it. You're there to race cause you like to race. So I, I, I guess myself and, and the whole team sees a hole in that. 
there there's not a lot of people that want to give what it takes to do a world or a national level mountain bike event those people should still be able to have fun and race bikes so kind of that's where we slip in i guess that's where we fit um and that's it man and and other than that it's just a For me and the crew, you know, it's just like we travel around, we put on races, we meet new people, and we ride bikes, you know. In the in the end of it, we're riding bikes, you know. So, yeah, I don't I, – I hope, I hope at some point everybody gets to try it out once, you know, because it's, it's super fun. That's all it is. So where can people try it out this season? Where's the trail party tour? going for 2020 we're gonna kick off in just what been three weeks two weeks when are we going we're two weeks and we're gonna be in windrock one of the gnarliest bike parks in the whole country we're gonna party at the rock we're gonna kick our season off um out there and then we're gonna come back uh we have tamarack again in july then pajarito in august um purgatory in september and then the mega party in angel fire in october which is you know our biggest event of the year um everybody wants a mega party so and it's a good time to be in angel fire in october last year we had like what four four foot of snowfall the day before practice three foot or something i don't remember but tons dude and and practice day was hell it was a war but race day, oh man! How how was how are the Texans holding up in the four feet of snow? Wearing jeans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was that's a good experience. So that's our series tour, and you know we're talking to people out there. We're talking with Park City. We're talking with Mount Scott, or sorry, Big Sky, um, Crested Butte, Snowmass, a, a bunch of different parks, um, to try to get our. Um, you know, get that experience out there so people can just check it out, you know. Um, a, a, a real big... A big focus of Trail Party is continuing to have beneficial events that the resort doesn't feel taken care, uh, advantage of. And the racers don't feel taken advantage of, and Trail Party feels like they did their job, and that we got something out of it too. You know, that's that's it. We, we it's not a uh, this is how it goes, and this is it's been the way, and this is the way we do it. It's it's like what can we do? We need to change something to make this beneficial for all the parties. You know, and and that's important to us too. And in, in nine years of putting on races we have every single venue still with us and there's not a lot of promoters that can say that there's a lot of promoters that aren't welcome back to certain mountains you know we we focus really hard because it's important this could all go away Grizz. this could all go away bike parks are getting so much traffic these days they don't need to have events to come out that's a real threat to a lot of people, myself included, and racers that want to race included. Um, so those venues that do let us in, 
you know, I, I think it's a promoter's job to show how they grow the, you know, the scene there, grow their park. Yeah, still have benefit by bringing new riders that likely or may or may not go to that park for any other reason. Absolutely. No that's I, mean, I would have never went to Angel Fire. Probably would have never started racing mountain bikes seriously unless I came to the Chili Challenge. So there's that, what is it called, responsibility to kind of honor that, you know, because, you know, events and racing are what made uh resorts what they are you know they brought people you know in the in the in the beginning it was necessary but now it's not you know so there's i know a lot of resorts feel like yeah it's necessary to honor this and keep doing it and there's some resorts that are just like we're not going to do it you know it's the liabilities high like our Season pass holders cry about missing a trail on one day a year out of the 72. You know, it's it just, it's, you know, it's not convenient for everybody. So we're, you know, that's a, I guess it's a longevity thing for us. You know, we're trying not to fade out. Trying to make something that is, is long lasting. Um, and... At the same time, we're just making racing fun again. Again, just have fun racing your bike. Be on the clock, man. You know, get between the tape. Come back. It's it's not scary. It's, uh, it's the most exhilarating feeling ever being between the tape, you know. Yes. Yeah, when you light the fuse, shit's going down. So, um... We're going to keep pressing. We're going to stick with the plan, grow to different venues and regions, and hopefully someday we can offer it to different areas of the world, even. We had Tasmania. Some guy um, contact us about a race out there. At, so. at the, uh, the sick bike park down there? What's it called? I'm brain farting on it. Uh, not sure either. Okay. Um, but wherever they had the Enduro, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Australian mates, please jump in the comments to uh, correct us on the bike park that we can't. It's not Revolution, is it Revolution? No, wow. that's in that's in England. Yeah, I'm way off. Yeah, I'm not sure what it's called. Americans aren't very good at the old geography. Well, names and in, in yeah. general. Yeah, I have a lot of things that I think about. <laughs> so, um, and. And Trail Party as well is a group of guys that like to spend, and girls, to like spend time in the woods and and have fun and be around bikes. It's the culture. Um, I think all that could be taken out as well. So, <laughs> Is it time to go to switch to margaritas? Chris, you want margarita? Next? Get a margarita. Yeah, let's get a margarita. Let's get a margarita going. All right, so in conclusion, Jeremiah, we did touch earlier on the uh, Mountain States Cup, the void that was left when that series went under. Yeah, I I didn't have a want or a need to race bikes again after that. Like, the bar had been set, right? And there was nobody that was 
stepping up into those shoes. Um, and, you know, went without for a long time. And then, you know, we got into promotions down here and event execution. And it started to grow a little bit. And now we're, you know, we got our sights on, you know, serving back up a big-ass spoon of cold Rocky Mountain downhill racing, man. And uh, it's it's been without a proper series for... I don't know how long or who thinks they put on the last proper series, but it's been a while. Um, and it's one of the greatest downhill racing regions in the world. Um, so we have events in Angel Fire. We have events in uh, at Purgatory. So we have those two World Cup tracks in a series for the first time ever, by the way, which is gnarly. Um, just kind of like roping that in and having those two tracks in one series is very, uh, as a bike racer, not just a promoter is, I think that's the shit. And then we're, we're talking with Telluride and if we get Telluride and, and the Telluride world cup track, that'll be all three world cup tracks in the region in the series for the first time ever. And, um, I think that's a good hey, we're, you know, DH is back and we respect this. And, and, you know, it's like, this is what we're doing. We're not, we're not fucking around. Um, I, I, there's other places that have called um, and people that have contacted us to have a downhill race in the region as well. And for the first year, it, you know, just with how much respect we as an organization have for the sport of downhill racing, we're not in a rush to force it and come out with trash. Um, we, you know, this year, uh, we might be two, um, races. We might be three, but we won't be more than three and we're not going to sell ourselves short. We're going to build a strong foundation and put our best foot forward and focus on the things that you actually need to have a successful, you know, mountain bike series, um, and try to treat the sport respect with the respect that it deserves. Um, you know, uh, focus on timing, um, focus on taping, focus on the trails, you know, it's kind of like the three T's, I guess, to make a, an event go well. If those three things are good, you're, I, I'm pretty sure you're good to go. Um, so yeah, next year, I really hope to have three, four, maybe even five uh, dates on the calendar for the Rocky Mountain um, series. So we'll see how it goes. Um, is, I th is the focus to keep it pretty much around Colorado? Or for now, it, absolutely. Is it going to be New Mexico, Colorado, Utah, Idaho maybe? or For the first year, you know, it's just New Mexico and Colorado, kind of like Mountain States Cup. Um we do have some ties with some Utah parks and, and stuff in Idaho um, and thought about it, you know, but that's a conversation I think for down the road because I, I don't believe in deliberately stepping on toes and coming into somebody's backyard and what they have in those regions and certain regions already 
goes on and successful is and it's successful but if you add another option into it, it's just going to dilute it right sure so not to get greedy like there's there's only so many venues there's plenty of promoters um but and there's plenty of racers but again just Walk in the line of trying to be a little different than most promotional country, uh, companies. Um, just we'll we'll play in our sandbox for a while until we're ready to maybe branch out. And what we offer as far as the trail party series isn't like anything else. So growth there, you know, it's like I feel like everybody needs a little lap a little of that in their life, but I know Colorado and New Mexico need downhill racing in their lives. It's a, it's a, it's a magical thing, man. It, it's why it's one of the reasons I am where I am. Will you ever have, will racers ever be required to be licensed by any kind of governing body to? No, I'm making it a point to, you know what? An an adult thought. That's a funny question. If the downhill series grows and the region needs points to be a, on a world level playing field, then yeah, I feel like it's my duty. But if not, fuck them. All right. All right. Well, um, Jeremiah, this has been a rad conversation at this point. I think, who do you have to thank for helping you with Trail Party? Oh, man. And the path that you're on as a promoter. And I know it's, uh, to, for the record, I mean, this is the Trail Party. Your, your race promotion is very family. It's it's mom and pop. Yeah, yeah. Um, pop. First and foremost, we got to thank our timing company, which is my beautiful wife, Jana. Um, it's not her job. She has a job. We have a kid. She makes it out to every race and times every race and sweats and makes sure she does what she needs to do to get the right data. So there's two main operators at Trail Party and it's myself and Jana. Um, and then... You know, I, I've worked with Andy Pell and Ryan Erb, um, Steve Mullins, well, Corey McCallum, Chase Havens, Ben, Jacob. Uh, who else, man? There's tons, man. It's a huge organization. I think our first year as a real team, um, we had 72 people on our team. You know, we'll squat up on you real quick. Um, you throw 72 people at a race, you're bound to get a podium out of it somewhere. <laughs> but yeah, uh, there's too many to uh, even thank, man. Um, we've been with Specialized since 2018, you know, and they've been a big factor in legitimizing us, you know, and I think we've been a big factor in making them seem like they're cool. 
So, you know, it's a trade-off there, you know, and, and we're core group of mountain bikers and I, I, dude, the company's rad. Like the direction it's going now from where it was is, is completely tenfold from what it was when I worked in the bike shop in Texas. So, um, they're a big point, you know, a part of where we've been. They've, I mean, shoot has got us into venues before. Shit, Grizz, I gotta thank you, homie. You got me into Idaho. You and Kyle Warner got me into Tamarack. So, you know, like I said, there's no one person in this organization. It's a it's a group effort, and this place will take help from anybody. You know, like we we're um, yeah, we're not shy about it, dude. This is a family organization, and we're not here to feed off or leech on our racers we're here to provide a good experience for bike riders and become closer as a community and and grow a healthy mountain biking sport so um gotta thank moms you know Moms. What a foundation. I didn't know that about your mother. At yeah, all. I didn't want to so tell cool. you that until today. That too. is so cool. Yeah, no, she dropped everything, dog. Mom's is the anchor. Mobile bike shop. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude, fat numbers on the weekend. Just slanging answer helmets. <laughs> <laughs> so many creepy purple stems. Oh, so many purple fucking stems, dude. So many. Oh, that was the... I, I don't know why. Fucking purple stems. Everybody wants to steal them. But that was the fucking thing. Everybody tries to steal the purple creepy stems. I swear to God. Uh, but yeah, mom's... Mom's is... Yeah. I mean, of course you wouldn't be where you are without your mom. But at the same time, the uh, support was unreal. I'm not sure most people get that kind of support. And uh, I feel very blessed. Hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel very lucky um, to have that support. And, you know, there's a ton of people. They know who they are. I'm, I'm going to say thank you right now. Um, this should get out there to everybody. <laughs> this is the biggest uh, crowd we have. So, yeah, everybody that's helped this place or helped pack up or went and got a sandwich for us when we didn't eat for two days while we're taping and and setting up courses and stuff yeah you know thank you i mean we're not that kind of business that's industrial and just we hire people and we throw races (laughs) (laughs) shit i also want to clear the air on something so old jd on his podcast i believe it was his podcast yeah is it yep his inside line episode yeah uh fort william the world 2007 um at some point he mentions like oh if if tyler mccall wasn't there i wouldn't have i wouldn't have survived through it i wouldn't have made it to the races and i just know that he doesn't remember it (laughs) but i'm pretty sure my wife and myself uh were the ones that like carried them and Christy, Chrissy Penny out of the bar and got them home safely. Um, and Tyler was about the same level as JD. <laughs> Do you remember playing quarters with Petey and Rennie, which is lifetime high? 
Um, Sassler was there too. Um, but yeah, in a bar, um, yeah, those, those kids wouldn't have made it out without trail party. Um, uh, I actually had to carry and I'm not lying. And it's funny because four cross racers and downhill racers are built and then they're strong trials riders. Yeah. But, uh, the junior trials rider was like 17 and they let him drink and the guy got plowed. Right. And so I'm, dude, probably the oldest guy that's going to go out with the whole team and drink. Uh, so no, Strobel was there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I had to carry that skinny little kid back to the hotel the team was staying at. And I remember carrying him up the stairs and bumped something and one of the coaches stuck his head out the door. And then closed it, you know, and saw what we were doing. Him, like, trying to get into his room. And, uh, yeah, I, I, the next day I, I got a call into the principal's office. And they asked me if I was taking the younger kids out to drink. And uh, I told the truth. I said, the young kids took us out to drink. It was like they were on their way and me and my wife saw them walking into the bar and we're like, mm, let's go, you know? And uh, so anyway, and you don't even have to include this in the podcast, but dude, the year JD got third. Second. At, second. Silver sorry, medal, he yep. silver medaled at Worlds. That kid, for all intended purposes, was a, a local Scotsman. oh man and we proceeded to enjoy the rest of that vacation um and we went to Loch Ness and we went and ate fish and chips and told the team cook that we're not eating broiled chicken and bread without butter played soccer at a castle yeah 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 so we played soccer in an old like castle grounds yeah (laughs) gosh yeah that probably wasn't a smart move i hadn't really ran since i was probably like 18 i'm over there to race and i'm playing soccer like jiving and juking i'm fucking doing the whole thing man like who's a good soccer player I don't follow soccer. I'm, I'm doing whoever it is, dude. Pablo, you know, like fucking... Like the bicycle No, what's person? his name, dude? Anyway, I'm doing that, man. I'm making moves, right? And then I wake up the next day and my legs are fried. Like I've been doing 350-pound squats for days. And you got to go try to race before I, I had one day before I qualified. And so I went into the team, like... This is why I paid five grand to go to Worlds. The team had a masseuse, right? So I'm in there, and he's just, like, working my legs out, you know? He's like, so what did you do? And I was like, I just played soccer with a bunch of 16-year-olds and, and the rest of the USA team, you know? Like, he was like, well, what were you thinking? And I was like, I was thinking I was playing soccer in a fucking castle. What are you thinking? And that is this episode of The Inside Line, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening. We have some margaritas <clears throat> margaritas to attend to. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Grizz. Awesome, Jeremiah. Cheers. Thanks for having me in Texas, man. This has been a rad week. Yeah, and dude. We'll see you back. Oh, yeah.